You are listening to the Inclusive Classroom series for teachers and educators. Inclusion Ed provides evidence-based, research-informed teaching practices and tools to support diverse learners in inclusive classrooms. In this limited series, you'll learn about neurodiversity and anxiety in the classroom, foundation practices for early career teachers, and how to positively engage families. Hello everyone, I'm Nicole Torres, former teacher and now Education Community Coordinator at Autism CRC and your host for today's webinar. I'd like to welcome you to our final webinar for the year, Positively Engaging Families. This is the last of five webinars in our Inclusive Classroom series. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands on which we're all meeting today, which for me is the Turrbal and Jagera peoples of Nianjin and recognize their connection to country. I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and ex extend that respect to any First Nations people who are with us today. If you are looking for a space where you can find evidence-based best practice for teaching, look no further than inclusioned.edu.au. If you haven't already registered and checked out our practices and resources, you can register for free to access the full range of resources and information. So let's get to it. Today we'll, we will be discussing how to positively engage families and here with us to provide some insights are Rebecca Walston and Amanda Porter. Rebecca is an occupational therapist by background and has worked alongside autistic children and their families within early years, primary and high school settings. Beck is passionate about strengthening the relationships between the team working alongside autistic children, as well as helping young people understand their sensory preferences, finding joy with daily activities and developing independence in activities that are meaningful to them. She is currently working at Positive Partnerships as their Western Australian coordinator. Amanda is a late diagnosed autistic person who has been involved with Autism CRC since graduating from the Future Leaders Program in 2018. Since then, Amanda has participated in the Self Advocacy at Work Program and has been part of the support team and project team for two other programs. Amanda has a Bachelor of Education, two Masters of Education and a Diploma of Counselling. She is currently working at Purple Orange as a project officer. We are so excited to have you both joining us today. All right, so we're going to start with a presentation by Beck to give an overview of this topic before we dive into the more nuanced parts of it. Take it away, Beck. Thank you, Nicole, and thanks everyone for joining us from wherever you are today. Very exciting to be here. Um, so I will just go through a few different slides and share some resources today, but I also wanted to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land of which I'm on today, and that's the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation over here in Western Australia. So why should we work together? It's the question that we all ask ourselves, um, and I'm sure why everyone has joined tonight or this afternoon just to get some more ideas around what should we be doing. So whenever someone says something like working together or teamwork or partnerships, some of those cheesy quotes might pop into your mind and you might think, you know, teamwork makes the dream work or there's no I in team. But really, there's nothing cheesy about working together. It's really important. And it's something that I am very passionate about. And that's um, from all sides and all angles. So working alongside families, their children, 
therapists, educators, everyone working around that uh, young person uh, or that student to support them in whatever they would like to do with their lives. So when we work together, that allows us to be part of the decision-making process. Everyone should be part of that. And it also helps us to prioritize and think about some of those learning outcomes for our young person, particularly in that school setting. Um, it also helps us to, to develop student-centered resources, student-centered plans, uh, student-centered supports. Uh, we so often forget to ask the young person first. And so that's why student voice or including their voice is so important. And I think particularly in WA, we're speaking about that more and more. And I know that in other states and territories as well, that conversation is happening. Asking the student first, inviting them and making sure that they're able to share their voice uh, within however they would like to best learn. So um, what we're gonna do then is just explore some different ways to positively engage families. And as I'm an OT by background, and I'm very lucky to work alongside some wonderful uh, therapists and educators and families. Um, so I'll try my best to talk from all the different perspectives, but we do have the amazing Amanda sharing her perspective as well afterwards. So on the slide here, you can see a couple of different um, uh, almost quotes here. So all families have dreams for their children and want the best for them. Uh, all families have varying capacity in their ability to support their child's learning. And also families, allied health professionals, support workers, and school staff are all equal partners. And partnerships should be a two-way street and each party should have a part to play. Now, for some people, all of this makes complete sense and you might already be doing this. But for others, sometimes this is something that we need to consider for ourselves. How do we, um, do we agree with each of these statements? Do all of our colleagues agree with each of these statements within our schools or our therapy teams? Um, and if not everyone's agreeing, then how can we work together to make sure that we're doing the right things in developing those really nice positive partnerships between home and school and also in the community? So we can't forget that along with some of maybe our own assumptions, parents of diverse learners might also have their own beliefs and assumptions about education. It might be linking back to their own experiences at school um, and previous relationships with different people within school. So we need to make sure that the impact that we're having um, on that parent and on that relationship is a really positive one and is able to help that uh, young person continue to move forward through their schooling in primary school and high school. Um, so if we have that respect and trust from all sides, then we are um, much more likely to have that positive partnership. Now, I just wanted to chat really quickly as well about beliefs and perspectives. So um, it's really important to examine our own beliefs. So what do you think yourself around education? What do you think around therapy? And consider how some of these beliefs and assumptions might be reflected in our practice. Um, it's really vital that we consider what our assumptions might be um, and that schools and school staff, as well as families, have conversations about what their beliefs and perspectives might be as well. Because how you perceive something impacts how you might respond. And particularly in that education setting, it's really important that we do consider how we might respond um, to best support a young person. So it might be taking time to consider um, or confirm maybe what your initial assumptions were and think about how you could change those. Um, it might be that others in the team around you have different uh, ways of perceiving a different experience. It's good to have those conversations. Um, but I want you just to take a moment to consider what your beliefs and your perspectives are. 
because as educators, therapists, families, autistic advocates, adults, it's really important that we are all having these conversations because what do you believe for yourself? What do, do you believe for your students or the young person that you support? What's your background? What's your culture? What's your upbringing? All of this plays into how we might form that relationship. And perceptions and perspectives are really important because in particularly in the early years and in high school, having that one person who might really believe in what you're heading towards or supporting you in the goals that you might have for yourself in your own learning um, can be really powerful. So I just wanted to show a very quick video uh, from Caitlin from the ICANN Network, and she talks about her effects of um, some perceptions from when she was growing up. And our perceptions within schooling have changed a lot. And I think that's a lot because we are having so many more conversations um, from autistic advocates and having that lived experience shared. Um, so that's why we're sharing this uh, video now. It is a little bit of a harder one to listen to. Caitlin did have a trickier time at, at moments. Um, so we'll just play it and then I'll talk about afterwards as well. So throughout high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do um, when I was older. I, the teachers that I had around me kind of implied that my options um, for when I was older was going to be re really limited because um, I didn't talk right, I didn't communicate right, I didn't express right, I didn't, uh, wasn't very academic. Um, so I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I was older. Um, so when I got to year 11, I did VCAL and um, that was basically the assumption is that people with people who do VCAL aren't very smart or, um, you know, will, yeah, they're not going to really do much in their life, which is not true. Um, but that's the kind of assumption that was placed onto me. Um, and deep down, I kind of wanted to go to university and I wanted to do these big things in my life, but I was made to feel like my options were limited because I had been strapped with labels like dyslexia and autism. And that kind of defined who I was and who I was gonna be. And the annoying thing about that is that all disabilities um, are not stagnant. People aren't stagnant. We constantly change, we improve ourselves, we get crapper in some areas, but we're constantly changing. And I didn't, I didn't like the idea that because I was dyslexic and um, yeah, I struggled a lot in that area that um, I couldn't do what I wanted to do. So for me, when I finished year 12, I did a diploma um, in community development. I mean, yeah, I did a diploma in community development, but first I did a Cert 3 in community services. Um, and I kind of was fluffing around with that, didn't know what I wanted to do. And then when I did that, I did a diploma in community development. And that took me three years, um, quite a long time for a diploma. Um, and then once I finished that, I had a year in my life where I really, um, took a step back and thought about what I wanted to do in my life, what, what career pathway I wanted to do. Um, and I was like, I want to go to university because no one else thought I could go to university. And then I was thinking, well, what do I want to do in my life? I want to help people. So I decided to do social work. Um, 
And so now at the moment, I'm in my third year of studying um, and it's been a really challenging, weird, wonderful experience. Um, and I've, it's actually made me realise how important it is to have diagnoses um, because at uni, um, if I didn't have a diagnosis of autism or dyslexia um, or ADHD, the chances of me getting the support that I really need were would be drastically limited. Um, so, yeah, um, it's pretty amazing. Um, my my friend actually bumped into a teacher a year and a half ago now, and um, they asked, "What am I doing?" And um, she said, "Oh, she's at university." And they were like, "I thought she'd be like." <laughs> just like locked up somewhere or something by now and they were like stunned and uh, but which is a sad sad thing that um, that's what they think but um, yeah I think everyone has potential and I'm happy that I'm living um, my inner dreams. So that was Caitlin's uh, perspective and her story and I think it really highlights the importance of our own pers perspective and perceptions and how if that one person had have had that more positive perception and worked from a real strength-based um, approach, then she would have had that experience a lot earlier and had that support along um, on that journey there. So it does show you the importance of, of our relationships and our perspectives as educators and as therapists. Now, I also really wanted to quickly touch on power dynamics. And power dynamics is something that I think we, we know about, but we don't often talk about. Um, so often there can be those power dynamics between home and school and the IS providers and in the community. And sometimes it can be completely unconscious and it can be things like the jargon that might be used within the school setting or within the NDIS setting. So in WA, we say um, IEPs instead of individual education plans um, or things like NAPLAN or the NCCD. A lot of these different jargon or words that are associated to something that almost have their own language and um, can sometimes cause a bit of that bias or that power dynamic. So it's really important the language that we use when we're talking about um, schooling and we're talking about therapy alongside families, um, but also even um, how we might uh, understand the school curriculum or the school systems um, or different therapy ideas, um, making sure that we are sharing that information in a way that's accessible, that makes sense, um, and is right for that young person that we might be supporting. And um, even things like in going into meetings. So I know I've been to a lot of um, IEP meetings or planning meetings where um, school might be sitting on one side, therapists on another side, family on the other side. Um, and walking into a room like that, and I'm, I'm sure there's some people on this webinar today who might have had this same experience, but walking into a room like that, although very well-intentioned um, because there might already be um, the school staff sitting down, they've already been in another meeting, might have no reason behind them sitting on the other side of the table, um, but that can sometimes lead to almost that power dynamic or that um, sometimes fear heading into those meetings. Um, so maybe asking or considering where uh, might be best for that family to sit. Where do you want to sit? Do you prefer to sit next to the classroom teacher? Do you want to sit near the window? Um, so that it's not so much of a, we'll sit on this side and you can sit on this side. Um, we can also enter the room all together. That's another thing that a family shared at a workshop quite recently. 
um, just looking at how can we can shift and um, make those power dynamics a little bit more equal so that we are all equal partners uh, in the positive partnerships that we might have together. Now, just a few little um, tips here or some ideas around positive family school and community partnerships before I touch on a few resources. So those um, really great partnerships are centered around the young person, include the voice of the young person, connect learning at home, school and the community. The young person's life is 24 hours. It's not just for that snippet at school or that snippet at home. And building community and identity is really important within school and outside of school and for that young person. And recognizing the role of the family who are the experts of their child and have been since the day they were born. And also using consultative decision-making. So working alongside each other to make those decisions and collaborate. Collaborating beyond the school. So working um, with families to understand their goals and for their young person and the young person's goals for their life. Um, and also ensuring that all people are participating in their planning. So I've mentioned collaboration and collaboration can be planned. It's how we can make those partnerships more effective. And I know there was a few people who had put through questions about some, you know, some supports for how we can better communicate with families or how can we adjust those boundaries and make sure that um, we're not expected to answer um, communication at nighttime or um, chat every time at the start of the day or the start of the school day. So that we can do that by being proactive. We can really collaborate proactively together. And I have a few resources now that I just thought I'd share quickly. Um, so this is the diversity wheel. Um, this is adapted from Rebecca Burgess, who's a really great autistic cartoonist. Um, and this is the way that um, within Positive Partnerships, we do talk about um, diversity. And in each of these areas, we can consider accessibility into the school. So um, what are, what's happening around the sensory environment? You know, what, how, how are things going around executive functioning? How are families connected to school and their community? All of these different areas do play into that relationship and into that partnership. Um, that resource links into a planning tool. So this is the Positive Partnerships Planning Tool. So some people might've heard of it previously as the planning matrix. It's been updated to include strengths and interests at the start, because that's the basis of all relationships is knowing what someone's good at and what they might be passionate about. And that's how we build relationships. It's how we get to know each other. Um, and also connections to culture and community is, is a new addition. And I think a really, really important one that we often as therapists or educators might not think to ask straight away, who are you connected to? Um, we often might consider things like language or religion or culture, but we might not mention, you know, who lives on your street? What are your neighbours like? Um, who, who are your other connections within the community, particularly living in regional and remote areas? Who are you linked in with? So that's a great resource. And we will share a few of these links, I think, and I'll have a link um, on the screen as well that you can see. This is another version of the planning tool. This is a My Child Storyboard. And this was um, designed by a Noongar artist over here, Johnny Maguire. Um, and it goes through all the same different areas, but it just has some really nice illustrations. This was originally developed for our First Nation programs, but I have had lots of people wanting to use this as a resource within their schools. Um, so that's there for you as well. We also have an online version because I know we like to be efficient and we like to make things nice and easy. And so if you are not using your phone right now, you're welcome to um, pull that up on that QR code. But we will again also pop that link as well in the chat box there for you. 
Um, and this is just an online version of that first planning tool that I shared with you. So if you have a class and you want a few different um, uh, children to have a planning tool um, in your class, you can do that in there. You can edit it whenever you have your planning meetings and you can flick off that link and share it with whoever you would like. It can be families or therapists um, to make sure that you're all working uh, on that document together. And I know there was a few people that commented around communication and creating those boundaries. Um, and the best way to do that is to be proactive. Um, the best way to do that is to ask, how do you like to communicate? How do you like to communicate positive news? How do you like to communicate more challenging news? Do you like some time to have a read through and have a look at what might've happened in the situation? Um, or would you prefer to know straight away through a text? And also you can set how frequently you want this. Um, there was a school that I was working with and they weren't allowed to answer um, emails uh, after work hours um, or communicate with families after work hours, but that hadn't actually been communicated to the families themselves, that policy. So then that made it quite difficult because families were thinking they might get a response, um, but it actually was something completely different. So we have to just be clear about how we need to communicate. Um, this is for the families, but this is also for us as well. So I much prefer texts. I much prefer emails um, than phone calls. And that's my personal preference. Um, but it's something that I've learned with experience. And I think that's something you need to consider for yourselves as well. How do you best like to communicate and find that middle ground between home and school and community so that you can communicate in a way that makes the best sense and works the most effectively for everyone. So that's another free resource that you can um, grab from the links that will be shared. And another one is this partnership planning template. So if you wanna um, really reflect on what's worked across the year before a transition, or maybe what you want to make sure you're putting in place for the new year, this is a nice resource that you can use to help everyone work together. So what's been working well, what's been challenging, and what are some strategies that we could put in place there? And on the back of this document, there is just a couple of nice um, spots for you to add in what some of those goals might be. Um, the more proactive we are in developing that relationship and developing communication and setting some of those really clear expectations, the more positive that relationship is going to be. So that was a few of the resources um, that I really wanted to share, but I wanted to leave you with this quote before we um, jump back in. And I think Amanda will be sharing, but this quote is from Debbie Pusher, who's a Canadian researcher. So when we look inward and we challenge our assumptions and beliefs about families and communities, what we give is what we get returned. When we give our heartfelt care and commitment, time to listen and learn and space for parent knowledge to be shared alongside our knowledge, what we will get is stronger schools, stronger families and stronger communities. So I think that just really sums up how great it is for us all to be working together and to be developing those positive partnerships and relationships between home, school and the community, everyone around that young person. Now, here's, if you um, have your phone handy, you're welcome just to take a quick snap of this one because this is our website. This is some of the social media and then it's also my email at the top. If you have any queries about those resources or you're having trouble finding them, you're more than welcome to reach out, always happy to chat. Um, and if um, you've got my email, that's the, the way I love to communicate. So that is there for you. Um, and I think they will be sharing some of those resources in the chat too. But thanks, Nicole, I'll hand back to you, I think. Amazing. Thanks so much for the overview, Beck. Um, it really highlights for me how multifaceted these engagements are and how there's 
lots to consider when it comes to um, you know, positively engaging families and some fantastic resource suggestions in there too. So um, anybody watching will be able to see that they're in the chat box. So um, there's some fantastic resources. Thank you for sharing. Um, I wanna go to you now, Amanda, um, because you've had recent experience in establishing a relationship with your child's school uh, to support him with transitioning to kindergarten and prep. Can you talk us through that experience? And we've got a couple of, um, slides to share uh, for that as well. Yes, thank you so much, um, Nicole. Um, so I'm Amanda and I'm presenting today from the Ghana land and I would like to pay my respects um, to the elders past, present and emerging from the Ghana land. So I, um, so I'm from South Australia. So when I'm talking um, about year level, so uh, my son has transitioned recently from kindergarten um, into, into reception. So I think um, in other states, it could be um, prep instead of um, reception. So if I mentioned kindy and reception, um, that's because I'm in South Australia. So this is my beautiful family. Um, I've got three children ranging from 15 down to nearly three years old. And all three of my children have got additional needs. We're a very proud um, neurodivergent um, family. And this is um, shared with permission from um, my whole family as well. So even though I'm an educator myself, sending my children to school increasing um, has increased my anxiety because I have to trust in the school system that my kids will be okay. Um, being autistic myself, I also have to navigate the social aspects um, of school too. So that's interacting with teachers, um, with parents, um, et cetera, as well. So of course, then starting that new environment, of course, would have been adding an extra um, anxiety to, to our whole um, picture. So my oldest son has also started a new school um, this year. He's gone, he's gone into a brand new school starting in year 10. And I'll talk more about that a little bit later on. And my middle son um, in the front there in the photo um, has started school for the very first time uh, this year. So he has a mixed profile. So he is incredibly, incredibly intelligent. He loves people and is so incredibly kind-hearted and is absolutely hilarious. He makes everybody laugh all the time. But he also needs support with social skills and learning to sit still and concentrate and needs that extra support with phone motor skills and gross motor skills um, as well. With the mixed profile, I was worried about how school would manage as he needs constant stimulation of learning and to be challenged, but he also needs that extra support um, with his behaviour uh, behavior, um, as well. And I was also worried that if he was going to get bored, that's when the um, behaviour um, sets in as well. So for me, building the relationship was going to be um, key in settling in settling my son um, into this new environment and settling our whole family um, into this new um, environment as well. But I needn't worry. The school um, was incredible from the start and quickly made my anxiety um, not completely disappear. It's still there, but slowly disappear. Um, and um, so before we started, before we actually decided on the school that we, we chose, we did what any other family does. And we went on the school, the general school tour, um, where we got to ask questions and just sort of gain that knowledge on, you know, is this the right setting for our child, as any family um, does. And I asked the question of, you know, do you have, do you have supports for children that are highly gifted, um, that are autistic? 
um, those general questions. And then the principal said, does any other people have any questions? And there's my five-year-old popping up his hand because he was there. And he said, my question for you is what's 1 million times 24? And I thought, well, there we go. There we go, child. You just proved my, what my question was before. Completely through the principal, but I think it established that relationship straight away with the school um, that they could see um, the type of child my, my son is. The teacher <laughs> did answer um, that question, um, which, of course, made my son very excited. Um, we had decided that that was the school uh, for my child and um, enrolled him into the school. Straight away, the school was straight onto the extra supports that our family would need to start the transition into the school. He was attending the local kindy, so they set up an appointment um, with the local kindy to discuss, like, you know, what life's been like in kindy for him, what sort of supports they've already got in place that they can continue forward um, at school, and what transition is actually going to look like um, for my little guy um, moving into school as well. Um, this meeting with the um, with the kindy key educator, um, with the inclusion um, leader um, at my son's current school, um, and myself went for nearly an hour and a half because we were talking long and hard about just just um, what my child looks like in a whole. Um, we spoke about his strengths very first. That is the first thing that I always talk about is the strengths that my child can bring um, into the school and into the community. And then we talked about the challenges um, that he may that he may face. Every time I brought up a challenge, it was either response to that was, yep, we've handled similar before, and this is what we've done, reassuring me that, you know, they've got this. Um, or the response was, you know what, we're going to do more research about what we can do and, you know, we'll, we'll get back to you and we'll work with you to make sure that those challenges are met and therefore hopefully not challenges um, when he starts school. Before we started the transition visits, um, we got to have a personal tour of the school. So um, we told him that we're calling it the VIP tour and that he was going to be the only one walking around the school to have a look at um, having, having a look at his classroom that he's going to be going into, um, meeting his teacher, having a look what his classroom is going to look like, and then having a look at really cool features of the school, like the playground and the library. So he really, he really enjoyed that. Um, we walked into the classroom, met his teacher who, you know, straight away came over, the biggest smile, introduced herself, made, made both of us feel really welcome straight away. And we stood at the back of the room to sort of watch that bit of interaction between the teacher and the students. And they were doing, they were doing literacy lesson at the time, which is um, literacy and mathematics is my son's strong points. And he stood at the back of the room and was reading all the sight words off the board, uh, more so than the children that were sitting on the carpet. So I think, I think straight away um, the teacher was a bit shocked, um, which was uh, which was which was funny. And um, and then he also started quizzing her on his mathematics. And straight away she she was like, "I think you're going to keep me on my toes," which um, he definitely has already. Um, and we've only just started. We're only halfway through term one. We had two transition visits. Um, the first one was attended by his kindy key educator just to make sure like a friendly face because um, my partner and I were not gonna be um, there because we had to attend the parents workshop with the, with the rest of the family. So we just wanted to make sure there was at least one familiar face in that room to support if, if anything happened because obviously new environment, um, everything inside the room. 
And then the second visit, um, she didn't attend just to sort of have that scaffolding that, you know, she's not going to be there um, all the time. The two transition visits went amazing, um, which then over the Christmas break, we got to talk about the highlights of the transition visits, talk about what his classroom look like, what he's excited about, about starting school and building up that excitement um, for him to be starting school um, the, following, the following year. Within the first week of the school, um, all families, so not just us, all families had an opportunity to sit down with the teacher, discuss about what their goals are gonna be looking like for the year ahead. Um, and especially because it's that foundation, the foundation year as well. Within that meeting, we both, we both established with each other that we're gonna be open communicators um, with each other. So the good, the bad, the ugly. I'm, I'm one of those parents that I want to know everything. I don't want to just know when my child is, you know, well-behaved or doing well. I need to know when something is not right so then we can handle it straight away and put in extra supports if, if that is um, what is needed um, as well. So we, we established straight away um, that that open communication was going to occur and how that was going to occur. So for us, um, which is all students have got, we use a seesaw app in our school. So if we're having like a really bad morning in the morning, we can just quickly send a message to go, um, look, he's had a really bad morning. He's really tired. He's really overstimulated. Um, he might need to do a bit more um, heavy work or a bit more sensory breaks throughout the day. And therefore, then the teacher will get that right at the start of the day, ready to go before my before my kid walks through the door and also supports her as well. So I'm not having to like, you know, go up to her when she's trying to settle in the rest of the class um, as well. So have that have that mutual respect for for the classroom um, as well. Um, and then if anything happens during the day, um, you know, she might um, quickly shoot me a message just to sort of give me a bit of a heads up that we haven't had a good day. Um, or, you know, on the other hand too, you know, she will message me and go, wow, you know, we've had such a really good day today. You know, this has happened. Um, I'll get photos through the day, which, you know, which of course I love because I miss my child when I don't see him for a little bit. Um, so, so that's what we've been, that's what we've been having um, since we've actually started there. Communication has been the absolute key at all levels um, from the leadership team, from his teachers. He's got two teachers um, and then um, back and forth from us as well. So yeah, that's been our little transition into school and a family's perspective um, as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing, Amanda. I really love hearing those positive stories of collaborative partnerships and the amazing effect it can have on students. So that was um, awesome to hear. Thank you. Um, now I want to pose a question or this question to both of you. It's now midway through the term and teachers might be finding that they have students with support needs that they might not have been aware of before or maybe even the parents weren't aware of. Um, what can teachers do at this point to positively engage with families around these needs? Um, no, so this is, you know, this is happening a lot. I think we're getting to know the young people. We've spent a bit of time with them now and things have started to settle as well. Um, it's been the first term of term one where things have been a little bit more normal for the last few years. Um, so what I would do is, is hopefully you've already had those, you know, conversations around communication. You're already developing that relationship. But 
I would get together and have those conversations as well now. Um, something like the planning tool or whatever the school's already using, just having a resource or a document to collate everyone's ideas into one place. Um, because not only is the young person being supported by their classroom teacher, but there might also be teachers that they interact with in the playground or different specialist teachers. So that really great knowledge that is in the parents' heads and in the educators' heads is really important to put somewhere so that it's nice and easy for someone to have a quick look. What are some of the strengths of this young person and how can we support them? Um, so something like the planning tool or some kind of profile that the school might already be using, not to make any work harder, just to work smarter, I suppose, altogether. Nice. And Amanda, I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on that because, you know, for some for some parents, it might come as a bit of a surprise that, um, you know, their, their child might not be coping well in that particular environment. So, um, you know, how, how might, uh, you know, families want to hear that kind of thing from, from teachers at that point? Yeah, I was um, I was reflecting on this as Rebecca was um, speaking because I guess I've come from both sides. Like you know, as the former teacher and parent, um, I know these tough conversations need to be need to be had. So I know talking from my point of view and also talking to parents that don't have that I guess um, education background, they were talking a lot about pretty much what what Beck was talking about earlier about hopefully that that relationship has already been set um, before. And you've already had that kind of relationship building with the teachers already, um, but also, um, but also having like build, building relationships definitely is the key. Um, being empathetic when you're having these conversations um, as well, like understanding that you know all the behaviours that you're seeing in, in school, you're probably seeing they're probably seeing at home as well, possibly. Um, and but making sure when you do book these appointments, making sure that it is a longer longer appointment um too because um you need to give that time and space um to be able to allow the families to be able to talk through um, any of their concerns especially if they're not expecting um these sort of tough conversation as well there um, um lots of different emotions and being able to have the appropriate time availability to be able to hold that space for any of the emotions um that they may be feeling um, with it um, as well and just just listening to their parents to the parents as well and having that respect too of listening you know yes the parents have just sat down and listened to your concerns and then having that um, also respect for them to be able to um, voice their concerns or all their views on it um, as well and then working together to to come up with a solution. Nice yeah that's a really good point about leaving a little bit more time for it that these are not the kinds of conversations that you want to rush so that's yeah. a, a really good point as well um, now when it comes to kind of diagnostic reports you know they're, they're often deficit based they're negative in language they focus on more of the medical model um, and it can be really hard to see through the labels especially when we have you know the nccd and everything that are you know looking for funding around that what can families do to highlight the strengths and interests or passions of their child? Um, yeah, we've actually gone through this recently um, with my oldest. Um, as I said during my presentation, he's um, recently transitioned to a brand new school himself. And um, of course, we're moving then to a brand new school. Um, none of his reports sort of went with him because he's gone from the private to the public. So having to now give all these reports and stuff to the new school, I'm looking at this report from when he was four years old and he's about to turn 16. And I'm like, I don't want to give them 
I don't want to give them those reports from when he was four. So obviously we've gone through so much together as a family and he has changed so much over the last 11 years. And um, so, and we've worked so, and he has worked incredibly hard as well. So out of respect for him, I didn't actually pass that um, report on because it is so negatively based, which of course it has to be because, you know, unfortunately that's how we get the funding and that's how we get the support. So how we got around it was um, my, my son's got a really fantastic developmental educator and she wrote a letter um, because she's seen the she's seen the diagnosis in the documentation confirming that he does have a diagnosis um, and talking about the strengths that he can bring to the school and the community, but then also talking about the challenges that he may face in a brand new school and what the school can do um, to support them through those challenges. And of course, then me having those open conversations um, with the school as well. But it is really hard as a parent um, getting those getting those reports because we're a very proud neurodivergent family. But then when you see those reports, it's sort of a bit of a, um, you know, wind, knock the wind out of you all of a sudden seeing all these negative things about your child when, you know, all you see at home are these incredible strengths that um, autism has brought into their, into their life. I don't know how I can follow up after that, Amanda. <laughs> I love listening to you. Um, but what I would also maybe add is have a conversation with the young person about how they want to share their strengths with the school. Um, so if they can share that, do they want to share some, you know, some work that they're really proud of? Or do they want to share a video of something that they're really excited that they like learned how to do or that they love doing? Um, so sometimes just bringing in those strengths or those interests in different ways. Um, I've worked alongside a family and we were in an IEP meeting or a planning meeting and um, things had been really challenging for this young person in school. And he shared um, a video of something that he was really proud of. And that just set the tone for the whole meeting with that school because it didn't start with, okay, what's going, um, what's difficult here? What do we need to work on? It started the session or the meeting with a positive or something that he was really proud of and um, reminded everyone who we're talking about um, and that that school actually gave that extra time in the meeting to make sure that we, that conversation happened first before launching into okay what shall we do next now so I think ask the student and also just find different ways to share what those strengths might be as well. I love that thank you. Um, I guess we've kind of touched on it a little bit um, in some of the other uh, questions, but sometimes teachers might have to have those really tough conversations with families. Um, and someone has uh, in the audience has kind of you know, asked, what about parents that don't want to acknowledge that their, their children might need a little bit of help? Um, and I think it kind of comes back to establishing trust. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the steps that teachers can take to establish trust in order to have these really hard conversations that hold that space with, with families? Um, so what we've been talking about, communication, but also making sure that it's that two-way street and also really just acknowledging and recognising whatever the family might be feeling. So if they're transitioning um, into school at the start of the day and they've said, you know, things were really tough this morning, acknowledging that, um, because very often um, we might be really busy in our day and not really acknowledge some of those conversations that might be uh, coming that way. Um, but trust and respect are earned. And um, to do that, you have to really be authentic. Um, and you can tell if someone's not being authentic straight away. Um, but yeah, so communication, collaboration, and giving that time and the opportunity for families to share 
what they're wanting for the educational journey for their young person and, and vice versa as well. Yeah. Nice. Amanda? I, I think when you do have these tough conversations, I think respecting where the parents are at, I think, is really key. And I know as an educator, we see we see things differently. Um, and we'll see, obviously, the because of our background and our um, our study and everything else. But these parents are seeing their children that they've given birth to and that they've raised and, you know, incredible people. So when you start having those tough conversations with them, it's challenging a lot of their own beliefs and perspectives as well. So I think having that respect on where the parents are at, making sure that everything is evidence-based too. So, you know, keep making sure that, you know, all your notes are taken on when all these behaviours are occurring too. Um, if the parents are not ready to hear it at the time, you know, still have that respect. Look, that's where they are. And then maybe later on down the track, once you've started building on that relationship again, um, revisiting the tough conversation later, and then maybe then they might be ready to be able to hear um, more of that tough conversations once the relationship um, has been strengthened a little bit um, more. And I love what Beck said about the um, authenticity um, of communication because you can tell you can you can tell the real passionate educators that really love on your children and and stuff too. So I think I think building up that trust and and knowing that you know the teachers are only saying this out of the benefit of the child. They're not doing this out of the benefit. For themselves they're doing this because they genuinely care um, about the students in their class and their and their well-being can yeah. i add something extra as well yeah, just listening to amanda i think as well just acknowledging that you might be the first person to have that conversation and the conversations might happen again with someone else or in a different school year but the, the more clear you are um and talk really authentically about those support needs and not use labels or use jargon just nice and clear you're that first person that might have that conversation and acknowledge that that's okay. Exactly what Amanda said, that might be all that you get to within that relationship, but someone else within the school might develop a, a different relationship or a stronger relationship. And that yeah. person then might have another conversation again down the track. Yeah. And it's all about that planting the seeds mm -hmm. um, and stuff and then setting that journey. Cause I mean, the students are not going to be at the school just for that 12 months, you know, um, students could be, I know our journey with our current school, you know, they're there for seven years. So, you know, you're going to be building that relationship over a long period of time, not just this set 12 month period. Exactly. Yeah. So such a good point. And I think it's, it's, you know, it can feel really urgent as a teacher to, to discuss this and get supports put in place and get things rolling, but it, we have to meet parents wherever they're at in their journey. So um, it's a really good point to kind of respect that journey, respect where they're at, and also, you know, realise that uh, we can put other things in place without needing all of those you know, medical diagnoses as well. Um, and I just wanted to touch on also the, the building of the relationship side of things. Um, it can be the smallest things, I think, in, in my experience as a, as a teacher, you know, just meeting families outside after school at primary school anyways um you know meeting families at the gate just to have a bit of a quick chat you know what was on survivor last night or something like just random little chats and just building those connections with them because when it comes time to having these hard conversations you have a foundation to to work from um so that's it's a really good point in, in all of those those little things that can can build those connections um, I, I also wanted to kind of touch on how um, 
these kinds of transitions can occur at, at different points of schooling and, and further education. You know, there seems to be a big difference between the primary setting and the um, secondary setting. And we've got someone in, in the Q&A asking about, you know, how, um, how we can do this when you might have a student going to a different subject and a completely different teacher and how you can maintain that kind of connection and the support. Um, so these kinds of needs, how do they change based on their age? Um, and I might start with Amanda first. Yeah, I'm definitely noticing, I think, having two kids basically on opposite ends of their years, um, I think it's been really weird having that 10-year gap and all of a sudden starting again in reception, having to actually walk him into school. There's no more kiss and go um, and stuff. So I'm actually seeing the teachers every day, whereas um, middle school, although we did have COVID, I didn't actually physically get to meet any of the teachers um, there, which was really strange going from coming into the classroom every single day to not having that opportunity. Um, but I think our uh, my son's school was really good in communication through email. So at the start of the year, we got an email from every single one of the subject teachers to say, you know, this is who this is who I am. You're welcome to email at any time. Um, you know, set that standard straight away to go. The best play, the best way to reach me is through email. Um, here it is um, and stuff. And then if they had any concerns, they would email us. If it was really concerning, um, that would ring. Um, straight away and um, so we've always had um, always had that communication and I pretty much still set it up the same so when they when they send that introduction email across I would always reply back to them and have that relationship with them to sort of I guess introduce myself as they've introduced themselves as well so um, and also again just tell them you know I want to know everything that's going on if there's a challenge that comes on, you know, have that communication with me straight away, just so we can we can be aware of it straight away. Um, because we don't, especially when they go into that adolescence, teenage years, they'll, you know, they'll come home, they'll be, then possibly could be, you know, quiet or depressed, and they're not one to tell us and communicate with us what's actually happened during during the day um, as well. So having having that established relationship with the teachers allows that open communication um, with the school um going going forward especially when you know teenagers aren't as com great communicators as they get older yeah. <laughs> true Beth? yeah teenagers are not as forthcoming that's for sure um, <laughs> as I was listening to Amanda I was also just thinking about like within the school so very often um it sounds like your school you know shared an email or a communication of who you could contact but very often it's hard for us to think okay so this is a particular teacher this is the homeroom teacher or someone that's actually been um like allocated the person of my my support or contact but if I can't get in touch with that person or if I want to have a conversation um, about something that might not be working quite well and I don't feel comfortable having it with that person who else can I talk to in the high school and very often there's so many teachers it's hard to actually know who the pathway is so the clearer we are you know, this is your first point of contact, but if they're away or if something's not going right, this is who you can try next and this is who you can try next. And I think we forget sometimes to actually share that pathway. Um, so if something can escalate quite quickly because we just haven't been able to figure out who we actually ask this question of. Um, so in, in high school settings, that communication almost flowchart is really important. Um, but it also, I think, strengths and interests again, um, just making sure that all of the teachers at least know, you know, the strengths of that young person and what they might be interested in so that they can build that relationship authentically. 
And also have in mind some of the interests or strengths that you as the teachers want to share with that young person as well. Um, but also for that young person, make sure that they know who their contact is within school. If they're not feeling great that day, who do they tell? Um, is, do they have a mentor or do they have their homeroom teacher or do they just have someone they connect with really love like in a really beautiful way that they can then really feel comfortable to share what's happening for them? So I think school communication, communication for the student, but also for the families, it's all really important. Yeah, I think when my son was at middle school, we were very blessed. He had an incredible homeroom teacher and the homeroom teacher works so hard um, on the relationship um, with my child and they they were actually homeroom teacher the whole three years that he was there so that sort of allowed that relationship um, to build so much so the first day of his brand new school I got a text message from his homeroom teacher saying you know wish your son all the best for um, for first day of school so it's really beautiful seeing that um, seeing that relationship being built and I knew we went through bullying unfortunately um, we're during middle school but I knew if anything happens at all that homeroom teacher was there ready to jump in um, at any time. Fantastic I love hearing about those those great connections that teachers make. Um, I'm cognizant of the time so I wanted to ask you both our, our final question that we ask uh, in every webinar. Uh, what is your one key takeaway that you want teachers to know and I'll start with you Amanda. Can you come back to me on that one? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so many things we want to share. Um, yeah. I think for me is to the key takeaway is to know how you best like to communicate and also make sure you're asking those questions um, of the families you're supporting and of the kids that you're supporting as well. How we communicate is so important. And if we don't ask, then we won't know. Yeah, Love definitely. It. Definitely. I think um, I can't find my notes, but I think pretty sure that's what I wrote down as well. Like communication's key, um, building up those relationships with your student, your families, um, everything is such a key thing because I mean, the only way that we're going to be able to get the best thing out of each of our little people, big people, um, is to develop um, those relationships as a whole. So families working together, allied health working together, um, and our teachers and leadership team working together as well um, to be able to make sure that all of our students are reaching their full potential. Yeah, amazing. It really comes down to those those wonderful relationships that you can make with your students and communicating and, and sharing. So thank you again, Beck and Amanda, for sharing your time and insights with us. Um, this is such a big part of creating the support network around our, our diverse learners, and it can be a little bit hard to know what to do. So thank you for sharing your expertise and your experiences. Um, I'd also like to thank all of our listeners for joining today and for joining us on this entire inclusive education webinar series. Um, I hope you found this webinar informative and insightful and I encourage you to keep this professional learning going by registering on Inclusion Ed. Uh, registration and access is free and it is jam-packed with evidence-based and research-informed teaching practices, strategies and resources to help you support your diverse learners. Check it out at inclusioned.edu.au. You can also follow our Inclusion Ed Facebook page and support your teaching community by taking part in sharing and learning in the community of practice. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Uh, have a lovely evening and hope you've enjoyed. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find out more by going to inclusioned.edu.au to access a suite of free resources to help you support diverse learners in inclusive classrooms. 
You can also join the Inclusion Ed Community of Practice Facebook group for regular posts about our practices, as well as strategies and ideas from other education professionals.